You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Just to kind of give you a quick rundown of the ground we've covered, and if you've missed any of it, you can always go back and listen to the podcast. We talked the first week about the importance of really using what God has placed in your life, how God restores us, but then he multiplies what he's given us, and that's in gifts, and that's in uh, the, 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 just the ability that he's provided for our lives to be able to make a difference in the world around us. You weren't just called to exist. You weren't just called to check off days on the calendar. You were called to make an impact in the world, uh, and we saw that the very first week uh, as we looked at. We also looked at uh, the, the thing that motivates change in our lives. We're in a, uh, we're on the tail end of New Year's resolution season as people start the year making resolutions, setting goals. And, and I have goals. My wife and I have set goals for our family, for our church. We have goals as a staff, as a team. Uh, and I believe that's important. But a lot of, I think the difference between, there's, there's a couple things that contribute to uh, the difference between good intentions and actually accomplishing what is in our heart to do. Uh, and week two, we looked at uh, the, the, the power of a desire, a, a God-given desire, a God-birthed dream that will move you past your comfort zone uh, into the place of God-given purpose. And we saw Hannah crying out to God and seeing him provide uh, an answer in her son Samuel that changed a generation. Last week, we looked at the power of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, we actually just ended yesterday, 21 days of prayer as a church. And so I believe we're seeing the fruit of that as lives are coming to Jesus, as families. We, we personally saw a God story in our own family uh, this week with the Women's Night, and I, I just believe God's doing so much. And so uh, thank you for joining us in prayer and fasting as well. And today we're looking at the subject of uh, maybe something that you haven't thought about as much. It's going to be a pun in a moment. Uh, haven't thought about, we're going to talk about thoughts today. Uh, and I believe that, that our thought life is important. It's in the area and this word stagnation that we've looked at through the series is this idea that what should be advancing is stuck, that, that we're, we're not, that things that should be flowing are, are, are dry or stagnant, that, that uh, in our own life where we should be advancing, we should be progressing, we should be growing, we should be moving uh, in the direction of the purpose of God, that maybe somehow we've become spiritually stagnant. And I believe that when we're spiritually stagnant, it affects every other area of our life. When we're spiritually stagnant and we're not growing in our faith, everything else becomes affected. Our relationships are affected. Our, our marriages, if you're married, your marriage relationship is affected. When you have Jesus at the center, sometimes we, we used to think that a Christian marriage is two Christians married together. But, but a Christian marriage is Jesus at the center. And, and, and there's a difference. And so, uh, you know, your Christian mingle profile might line up, but uh, you still got to put Jesus... <laughs> <laughs> you still got to put Jesus at the center in your, in your relationship. So whatever it is that, that God wants us moving forward, and I believe that your thought life has a big part to play in that. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about how to keep and maintain the gains that God has brought in your life because it's one thing to get free. It's one thing to grow. It's one thing to advance in an area, but it's another thing entirely to maintain or keep what you've gained, what you've grown in, how you've become free. I've known lots of people that become free that don't stay free. 
and that God does something great in their life. Maybe they encounter God in a personal way at the altar or at the end of a service or in a thing like encounter night and they encounter God personally for themselves and they begin to grow. But it's in the area of our thought life that we're gonna focus today. And I saw this this week and just researching for this message that something around 6,000 thoughts run through your head every morning and every day. I know my first thought of the day is where's the coffee? Where's my people at? Where's the coffee? Uh, some, and my wife has a similar thought, but then what we, one of the things we've just made a point of that's really helped us in our relationship is we have morning coffee together. Uh, and so uh, we'll have coffee and take time to, because the day's busy, the day's crazy. Uh, we want to make sure we're communicating, we're having time. And I've realized something about my wife and I. I, I, I have one thought at a time and she'll sometimes have 10 thoughts at a time. So I think 6,000 may apply to the men in the room uh, only, but no, no, it applies to everybody. And, and we just know that, that there's something in our thought life that, and I, you know, there's a, a, just a general idea that most of what runs through our head, most of what we think about in a, in a given day is generally negative, maybe negative about ourselves, maybe negative about others. And, and it's important that we recognize and more importantly, take responsibility for our mind, for what occupies our mind. You may have heard it said that uh, you're as old as you think you are. Uh, and I think there's some truth to that. You know, I've known people who are, who are uh, in their 40s that seem more exhausted than some 80-year-olds I know. Even, in, you know, we got some, some people that say, I'm not giving up, I'm not quitting, I'm, I'm gonna stay active. And so, so I think your mindset actually does impact everything else in your life. I've known people to give up and become hopeless, that they've had a mindset of hopelessness when everything else could change in their life, they've already decided that it's over. They've already said in their mind, they've already determined that things will never change. Listen, you can't stop a person who's got hope. And when you get a hold of, when your mindset is occupied, I want to challenge you today because your thoughts actually shape several other things in your life. They shape your identity. You know, there's, there's, I think, two things that are the most important things we believe in life. What we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves in relation to God. What we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves. And, and, and if we get those two things right, everything else can be affected in a way that God uh, intends for them to be. Our thoughts form our identity. And I think we live in the most broken and confused generation, not because we have more problems in the world, sometimes it feels like that, but, but human history tells us there's been plenty of seasons that were much more intense or much more difficult in many ways, and yet, while we have more comforts than we've probably ever had, more conveniences than we've ever had, we have the most depressed generation in human history. You've, you've got 17-year-olds who are getting depressed and checked out and, and exhausted with life because there's so much that's coming at us and there's so many messages that are bombarding us and our minds are filled with so many things, but there's some things that are timeless, that transcend generations, that never go out of fashion, that no, never go out of style, that actually establish real and lasting freedom in our lives. And, and, and an unhealthy thought life creates mindsets that actually affect, your thoughts shape your actions. They shape your, and your actions shape your habits. 
And your habits shape your character and your character shapes your future and your destiny. So we go back to the root of this at our thought life. We wanna deal with that in a way that we can be transformed by the power of God's word. Last week we focused on prayer and fasting. Today we're gonna look at the importance of God's word to transform our thoughts, to set us free and to move us forward into every area of life. Unhealthy thoughts and mindsets are like spiritual treadmills. Uh, I like the treadmill. I like to keep active, you know, uh, I like to be more active than I am. Uh, I'll just say that. But, but a treadmill is something where you can walk or run, but you're not actually moving forward. You're staying in the same place. And some of us are in a spiritual treadmill. There's some things that we thought would be different, but they're not. We had intentions to see things change, but we're not moving forward. And I wanna get off the spiritual treadmill today. I want us to advance in the purpose of God. See, a new outfit will not set, you, will not, okay, let me rephrase that. A new spouse, a new car, a new house, all of the, you know, what, Whatever, we think a change of scenery or environment is gonna change our life, but you can't fix an old mindset when it stays the same. So, so one of the things that I've found over years is that even in church, we can have a mindset that's resistant to change. We can have a mindset that, well, you know, I, I just like the good old days. I like the way things were. And, and the way things were may have been good and it may have even been a God thing, but God is doing something new in my life and yours. He's always doing something new. There's truths that don't change. The, the word of God doesn't change. As I told you last week, the message of the good news of Jesus doesn't change, but the methods of the church, the methods that we do things to reach people may change. But a mindset that, that stays stuck, the mindset, listen, people with a small mindset don't live big. I know people that live their whole lives and think they'll never outgrow their temper because that was, the, that was what their parents had and their grandparents and that's just how things were. And, and, and if we're not careful, we'll allow the smallness of what we've been given. I think sometimes we inherit these thought patterns, mindsets. In fact, we inherit them not just from our family, we inherit them from the world around us. We inherit them from our culture. From our culture. The world is screaming messages every day. We're being bombarded with messages every day that oftentimes have a purpose and it's to shape the worldview of people. And if we're not careful, we'll live our lives with a worldview that's actually different than God's view. And, and, and so we wanna have God's view. We wanna have freedom. In fact, I, I wrote this day, you will not experience victory in your life until you live with victory in your mind. And so it starts there. It starts in our lives. That's why it's important that we guard our thoughts. And so I've got three points for you today. Here's what the Bible, here's, here's our three points for our, our notes. So the first one is this, think about what you think about. Second Timothy 1.7, Paul said, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. I think two things in 2020 till now have been just let loose on the world. One of them's fear and one of them's offense. I've never seen people more offended. <laughs> we've, we've, made it a, we, we, we've made it a virtue in our society to be offended. If I'm not offended, I'm doing something wrong. And, and the truth is, while it seems like a virtue, it's actually not, it's a burden. Fear brings torment, these things, and there's so much more, but there's, there's, here's what God's word says. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So if God hasn't given it to you, can I just help you today? You don't need it. 
That's why it's important to know what God's word says. Because if God's word says God didn't give it to me, then I don't need it in my life. (laughs) I don't have to accept it. Do you know not all thoughts are created equal? Not all thoughts are of equal worth. We have to, to, to project to the room while I'm preaching, our singers are singing, we have microphones that amplify onto our sound system, that connect to our sound system and project the message and project the song. Not every thought in your life deserves a microphone. Not every thought in your life deserves your focus and your attention, but too often it's our most dominant thoughts that are directing our life. Thoughts of fear, thoughts of bitterness, thoughts of offense, thoughts of insecurity. I know a lot of people that aren't doing the thing God's created them to because of fear, because they're worried what people will think. They're worried what will happen if they fail, if things don't work out the way they're expecting. And it's at the place of their thoughts. Maybe God's even given them a word. Can I just tell you a story in the Bible? I love this story. Uh, those who've been here for a while have heard this before, but uh, Abram is, he, he would become Abraham, Father Abraham. And uh, we know Abraham's story, but not many of us know his father's story. His father's name, Terah. And Terah, it says one day, gathers his sons, gathers his family, and gathers all of their resources, and they leave Ur of the Chaldees, which is the the metropolis, it's the New York City of its time, and they leave Ur, and they're on their way, it says in the book of Genesis, on their way to the land of Canaan. They're on their way to what would one day be the very place that God would tell Abraham, leave the place of your family, get out from where you are and go to the land I'm gonna show you. That would be the land of Canaan. It would be one day called Israel, the promised land. That would be the land of their descendants for generations. But I believe, this is my opinion, I believe Abraham wasn't the first one that God was trying to get to Canaan. And Terah is on his way with his family, Abram in tow and all of his things and all of his people. And they're on their way to Canaan. But along the way, it says that his son Haran died. And along the way, they settle in a place that actually, whether it was named after his son that died or it was by convenience that it was already, maybe it was a common term, common name, but he settles in a place called Haran and he actually spends, Terah spends the rest of his days. And, and if you were to look on a map, some of us still have Bibles, or Bibles with maps in the back of our, if you look on a map, Haran is halfway between where he started the journey in Ur and where he was supposed to end up in Canaan. And he got stagnant in the middle. And Terah spent the rest of his life in stagnation. Terah spent the rest of his life stuck where I believe he wasn't called to be stuck. And so God would have to come to the next generation and he comes to Abram. And you know what he tells Abram? The very first thing is get out from your family and from your own country. Not because his family was bad and not because, but but God knew that if he did things the way his father had done them, he would get stuck. If he did things the way everybody he knew had done them, he would get stuck. Instead, Abram had to respond to a word from God. We need to get God's thoughts for our life. We need to get God's word, God's purpose, God's plan for our families. And God's word to Abram was leave this place to go to the place I'm gonna show you. And that was gonna be a tough decision. It was gonna require some change, not only in the way Abraham lived, but the way he thought. A couple chapters later, God would come to Abram and he would say, Abram, I want you to step outside of the tent you're in. 
And I want you to look outside because I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. God actually called him that. God said, you will be a father of many nations. And Abraham, he hears that word, but he can't quite grasp it because at the time he has not one child to his name. And he's getting older. My wife did a great job preaching that message Friday night with Abraham and Sarah. And Abram is unable to have children naturally at this stage until God does the miracle and provides Isaac. And, and he would also have Ishmael and other sons. But, but here's, here's the point. At this point, he didn't even have any evidence to match the word God had for him, to match the God thought. And so God tells Abram, here's what I want you to do. I want you to change your name. And he changed it from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many. Or father. And, and so, so, so he tells him, I want you to change your name so that while your wife is calling for you, she calls you Abraham, father of many. And I'm sure there were some snickers in the room from people who heard them call this fatherless man, Abraham, father of many, as like, well, he's just dreaming. It's just a joke. And they look, don't ever get worried about the opinions of other people and let them shape what you're gonna do when God gives you a promise. Can I just tell you, if I had listened to some thoughts when we moved here in 2020 to start a church, I'm just, listen, you can't always listen to or follow even the thoughts that pop into your own brain because sometimes those thoughts will talk you out of obeying what God told you to do. The longer I think about rather than just respond quickly. So there's some things we just need. When God begins to stir your heart, don't rationalize. Don't try to figure out, maybe God's calling you to surrender something in your life. Don't try to figure out, well, maybe I can, I can surrender that six days out of the week. Maybe I can make a deal. You ever make a deal with God? Like, well, God, I'll obey you extra in some other areas. And then you rationalize it where you actually begin to talk yourself out of or you've done like I tried to, a few times where you're like, well, maybe I didn't really hear God. Maybe it was just too much pizza today. Abraham, step outside. And he does. He comes out from the tent and he says, I want you to look. Because Abraham had to change the way he saw and he said, look, count all these stars. They, the stars in the sky don't even compare. I'm gonna give you more children than them. I'm gonna give you, look at the sand. You're gonna have more kids than them. See, Abraham had to get God's thoughts. Did you know God has thoughts about your life? Did you know that? Let me tell you what the Bible says about God's thoughts. Here's what the Bible says. Let me give you this. In Psalms, uh, let's jump ahead in the notes. Psalm 40, verse five. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done. Can you just say amen to that? Like what God's done is amazing. And then the psalmist says, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Psalm 139 Verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they should be more than the number of the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. This is just amazing. So, so the psalmist says he's worshiping, as he's singing to God, he's thinking, God, you, your thoughts towards me are more than I can even imagine. And you know, when, when Jen and I started dating and we got engaged, I thought about her all the time. 
and, and, and I was thinking about it continuously. I just wanted to be around her. I wanted to be with her. And, and so I was thinking about her, but, but as many thoughts as I had about her, God has even more thoughts about you. God has even more thoughts. And some of us are thinking, well, yeah, I'm sure God's thinking about me. He's thinking about how to get me. How to set me up, how to, how to, how to come after me. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, here's what your thoughts are, God. They're good. You've purposed good and not evil to give me a future and a hope. We need to believe what? What the Bible says about God. What you believe about God is the most important thing. And as a result of that, what you believe about yourself. I think the reason why people are so depressed or so broken or so hurting or so lost and so confused in our generation is because we're trying to find worth and identity in so many things, but you were created to find your worth and identity in God alone. And when your identity comes from God, it doesn't matter who walked out on you. When your identity comes from God, it doesn't matter how many zeros are attached to your bank account. When, you, when your identity comes from God, it doesn't matter what others call you or how many people like your post on social media or whatever ridiculous thing we use to measure our worth. G.K. Chesterton, it was over a century ago, said, all men matter. He says, you matter, I matter, and this is the most hard or most difficult thing to believe in all theology. <laughs> it's interesting to me, just human nature. We often, and, and I know there's exceptions. I know there's people that are, you know, they, they think they're God's gift to the world. God, you're welcome. I showed up, you know, I'm here on the earth. You know, we, I, I know we have those moments in our life. And, and, but I, I, my experience has been most people are self-defeated. Most people have this lie of shame in the back of their head. There's this voice that says you're not enough. And as a believer in Jesus, whose past has been washed away, and you've been forgiven, and you've been made whole, it's, it's, it's a tragedy when we live our lives with the mindset we had before Jesus. When God took Israel out of centuries after Abraham, he brought them out of slavery in Egypt, led by Moses into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, the place that Terah was supposed to go, the place that Abraham obeyed and went to. And he brought them out to bring them in. But the one thing God had to do in the in-between space was change the way they thought. Because for four centuries, they lived their lives with the mindset of a slave. They were slaves for 430 years. That's all they knew. That's all they experienced. That's all they thought. And, and it was destructive, backbreaking labor that they were a part of. But then they would come to the first crossroads, the first moment of difficulty, and they began to say to God and to Moses, who's leading them, they said, it's better for us to go back as slaves in Egypt than it is for us to wander in the desert to the promise of God. That's a mindset. It'd be easier to go back. Have you ever thought that? It'd be easier to go back before there was spiritual warfare in my life. <laughs> Do you know why there was no spiritual warfare? Because the enemy had you, but then he lost you. His plan failed. God has thoughts for you, so does the devil. Paul said this in, in Corinthians. He said, um, we're gonna forgive somebody. There was somebody in the church that needed forgiveness to be reconciled, put it right there. There was restoration and, and the church should be the most restorative place on planet earth. 
because we've been redeemed and we've been forgiven and we've been set free. How can we not forgive? How can we not show overflowing love to the people who are far from God? Not the least withstanding those within the church. I'm gonna promise you, there's gonna be a point where you're gonna have to forgive somebody in church. Maybe they took your seat today. Maybe they took the last bit of coffee from the coffee pot and they've got a 16 ounce or whatever it is and you've got that little plastic and you're like, what in the world? I just wanted some coffee. But maybe it's gonna be more serious because people have issues. So do I. (laughs) Just when I think I'm, I'm, I'm always handling things well and always getting along well. And, and, and listen, I don't always say the right thing and I don't always do. So, so it's important that we show grace to each other. And Paul said, we're gonna forgive because we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Why? And that word devices isn't like, you know, his, his phone. Satan's, we're aware of Satan's iPhone and his TV. No, devices is his thoughts and schemes and plots in the Greek. So we're not ignorant of the thoughts of the enemy. We're not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. And God has thoughts for you. So does the enemy. There's actually a battle. Second point is this, point number two. Sorry to our media team. I totally missed half the notes. But number two is there's a continual battle between lies and the truth. There's a continual battle in our lives between the lies and the truth. God has thoughts about you and God's thoughts are truth. The enemy has thoughts for you and his thoughts are always lies. Now, sometimes they're half truths, half lies. Do you know the, the, one of the biggest, most repeated, I, I don't know the numbers of this. There's probably people much smarter than me that have researched this, but the, the most repeated promise in the Bible is something, a form of don't be afraid. That's important. But one of the most repeated instructions in the New Testament, especially, is don't be deceived. Don't believe the lie. If you look at what the Bible says about the end before Christ comes, one of the biggest, most repeated issues, one of the most common uh, denominators across the board is the issue of deception, believing a lie. Romans 1 says it this way, that from the very beginning, God created things and people have throughout human history suppressed the truth. To suppress literally means to, like, like there's truth and there's a lie at work in front of you, in the world and in your own life. And there's a wrestling match. I, I like the wrestling analogy because I was, I was four years old going to Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior matches with the WWF. I know that was fake wrestling, but anyway. And, and there's a match between the truth and the lie and you decide which is gonna win in your life. And you can decide, I'm gonna suppress, I'm gonna go to war against what's true in fact, he goes on and he says, people are without excuse that, that we've exchanged the glory of the creator for his creation and we worship the things we, we worship and you know things we've made with our hands. And, and I know that they used to bow down to idols and we used to bow down to and burn incense to things and all of that. And I know that still happens in many parts of the world, but now we just, we, we subscribe uh, monthly to our idols. 
We have different ways we do this, but whenever we exchange in our lives the place that only belongs to God, that thing comes into a place that it was never meant to. And, and, and when you come to God, you're expecting life from him and he's the only one that can actually fill you with life. If, if I'm expecting, even in my closest relationships, if I'm expecting Jenna, my wife, and she's an amazing wife, but if I'm expecting her to fill what's in my heart the way only God can, I'm gonna be frustrated and her with me. If I'm expecting my kids or I'm expecting my job or I'm expecting anything in the world to occupy the place that only God himself is meant to occupy, then I'll be left empty. There's a battle between lies and the truth. And the problem with deception are you ready for it? Here's the problem with deception. It's really deceiving. <laughs> I've never known someone to, to, until they really encounter the truth. And, 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 and what do I mean by that? When we encounter, here's what, what Jesus said. And we've heard this expressed in the world, you know, you'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. And it's said all the time, but it's not just any truth, it's actually the truth, capital T. And Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you'll be my disciples. Disciples are followers of Jesus. He says, if you abide in my word, if you know what my word says, and that truth, you'll know the truth, and that truth will make you free. Why? Because it'll confront the lies. And there are times even serving Jesus and in ministry for over 18 years, there's still things that I'll read God's word and go, that hurts a little bit. That confronts some things that I would rather not have confronted. It's always hardest to let go of the lies we like. <laughs> but then when we embrace the truth of God's word, I've never known somebody to just of themselves go, I'm really deceived about this right now. <laughs> and you know the answer? And, and those who've been here for a while, you know, I don't get up on Sunday and say, we need to fight deception, deception's in No, no, because here's the answer. We just put the truth on display. And the more you put the truth on display, the more lies will be exposed and dealt with and confronted and people will be set free because the Holy Spirit knows what each one of us needs. I've had people come up to me and go, man, what you said about this thing, and I'm like, I didn't even say that actually. But the Holy Spirit was communicating something to their heart, was taking maybe something that, but, 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 but God is speaking to you. He's leading you. He's rearranging things. And if you let him, he'll make you more free every day. Anybody ever see an anglerfish? I forgot to give you the picture. I'll do that for second service. You guys are so blessed. You don't have to look at an ugly anglerfish for first service. An anglerfish is the ugliest thing that God ever created. I kid you not. And if you don't know what anglerfish is, it's, it's at the, the, the depths of the sea. Yeah, we'll blow it up on the jumbotron uh, for second service. And, and, and this thing has these massive teeth and it just looks hideous. And, 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 and yet, what draws, Jason's gonna find an anglerfish, sorry. Um, the way it gets its prey, and it usually is towards the deepest parts of the ocean in the darkest parts where no light from the surface can come. And so the anglerfish will catch other fish and eat its prey by dangling. It has this like natural light that just dangles on the front of its body. And the fish are drawn to that little, uh, that, that, that luminescence that this, this thing is dangling in front of its mouth. And the fish are drawn to the light, but they don't see what's attached to that. 
And the problem with the lies we like is it may dangle something that draws us, that for a season feeds us, for a season encourages us in the wrong way to pursue something that is other than God's plan for our life. And we go, I'm finding fulfillment in this. I'm finding identity in this. And we're drawn to the light, but we don't see what's attached to the other end of the lie. Oh, there we go. A face only a mother could love. Maybe the lie has been no one else will know. No one sees. You can take that off before anybody's traumatized. <laughs> We're like, I can't look anymore. But we've got to be careful of what's on the other side of that. Here's the third point. We're going to spend some time on this for the rest of the message. We need to win the war for our mind. You can win the war for your mind. See, if you don't win the war for your thoughts, it'll steal your inheritance. It'll stop your destiny. It'll confuse your identity. It'll shape the lens through which you see the world. I, I remember my very first, I, when I, my wife and I, before we had planned a River City Church, we've served in a lot of different areas of ministry around the country. And one of those seasons was we were involved in a rebuild of a church. And uh, I'm so thankful for what God did in that church. We stepped into an environment that wasn't super healthy and we were able to see God do a lot and turn that place around. And it was, I'm thankful for that. But I remember my very first meeting I called and, and, and there were people in the church that they had been so traumatized by a series of just all kinds of issues. And, and, and I called them together and my first, I was 27. I was just naive enough to not know any better. But I started my very first meeting like this. How, who's ready to take the city for Jesus? By the way, I'm still doing that. And, and my responses were not, let's go. It was a, I, the way I describe it is it was a, the, 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 and it was actually a leadership meeting. It turned into a firing squad and I was the object. <laughs> because so many people had a mindset, well, why would we reach our city when, when this isn't happening? That's how, and we had all these different issues that we had to work through. And at the heart of all of it was a mindset. If, we, if the enemy can get us focused on our own issues, he can keep us from our purpose in the world. Yeah. If we can keep us focused on our own issues and problems and needs and keep us bound, and that's why I'm gonna give you quickly a few things that I believe help us win the war for our mind. The first thing we need to do is recognize. We need to recognize. Well, we need to recognize. How do you know it's a lie? How do you know that there's an issue that, that you need to be free from? Well, we, as I already mentioned, got a little bit ahead of myself, but, but the truth reveals the Bible is like a mirror. You ever check the mirror before you leave the house and, and you realize that something needs to get adjusted? You, you got a little too much milk on your upper lip <laughs> from your cereal and, and whatever. And, and you, because when you look at the mirror, it shows you what's, what's there and what shouldn't be there. And God's word does that for us. It functions like a mirror to tell us who we are in Jesus. To tell us this is your inheritance, this is your promise, this is what God has for your life. And it's like a mirror, and sometimes that mirror shows us some things where we go, ouch, that hurts a little bit. I, I, I kind of liked being mad at, at, at my friend and the way they treated me and what they did and how they hurt me. And, and I, I, I want to retire, and, and we hold on to things, and the Bible comes along and says, forgive like Jesus forgave you. I know it's easy for us to tell others to forgive, but the rubber meets the road when we have to do it. 
And, and sometimes we have categories like, well, I'll forgive the person who cut me off in traffic after I've let them know how I feel. <laughs> after, after I gave my hand signal, none of you, okay, good. And, 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 and we work through that, but then God's word goes, no, no, let's peel the layers back. Let's, let's recognize the lie because sometimes the, the lie is actually the excuse we make for why things are the way they are and why things shouldn't change or why we're not willing to change. Can I just tell you, excuses are a big one. We are so good at excuses. We've been doing it since the beginning. God comes to Adam and Eve. He says, who ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Adam says, well, God, it's really your fault because it's the woman you gave me. She did it. And then she goes, well, it was the serpent. And she points the finger. And we're really good at making excuses. Well, the reason why this is the way it is, is, you know, my family was a mess and this was broken and, and, and these people mistreated me. And this is, and, and, and we create a, a victim mentality instead of what the Bible says we're created for. You're more than a conqueror. It didn't matter what your natural DNA was. It didn't matter what your family history was because you have a new DNA. You're born again. You're, belie- you're a believer in Jesus, you have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, and you don't have to be defined by what came before. Today's excuses are tomorrow's regrets. We recognize. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world. This world has a message. This world is communicating values every day. I I spent time talking about values last week. Your values will define who you are. Your values will define who you'll be when you get to the destination. So Paul writes here, Romans 12, 2, we're almost done. He says, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed. Conformity is outward pressure. That's why religion doesn't work because you can't change somebody's life just by giving them a list of rules, just by saying, here's the 15 things you're supposed to do. And you know what I found? Every church's list is different. And so, so we, we give people the list and we say, here's the things you're supposed to do instead of introducing them to Jesus who will transform them from the inside out. And then when you give your life to Jesus and surrender, you're gonna, have to, you're gonna find out there's still some things that you think the way you did before Jesus. And so he says, be transformed from the inside out. Be transformed, be changed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or recognize, approve what is good, acceptable and the perfect will of God. There's some things I accepted in my life years ago that were actually destructive because I didn't know yet. But as I, as I began to allow God's word to transform my mind and change the way I thought, then I go, oh, that thing doesn't belong in my life anymore. That thing's actually robbing me of peace, robbing me of joy, robbing me of freedom. And we begin to go, here's what Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that word thinks means literally to act as a gatekeeper. It doesn't matter what thoughts pop into your head in a given day. It matters what you allow to have access and a platform in your life. Okay. Recognize. Thank you, Cassie, in the back running media today. You, nobody knows how much you're having to work for my notes. Um, 
the next one is to replace. To replace. We need to replace. So, so it's, we recognize the lie, but we need to replace it with something. And the Bible uses this word to describe this process, and it's a word repentance. The Bible, this is the, the first message of Jesus. I don't have this in the slides. Uh, the first message of Jesus, he comes to Israel, the Galilee, and he preaches, and he says this, very simple, very simple message. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To, to repent, literally in the Greek, it's a word metaneo, which means to change the mind. It's a change of mind that affects the course of your life. So, so if I'm on my way to drive one direction and I change my mind, that means I turn the car around and I go the other direction. And, and so to, to a change of mind indicates a change of course and direction in my life. And so here's what happens. We replace, God's word reveals, God's word uh, shows us what the lie is, but we've got to replace it with something that is true. Truth is timeless. That's why the battle in our generation, and frankly, has always been the battle. It just, it's communicated differently. The early church had to battle the same lies that are now on TikTok and on YouTube and everything else. So, so there's just, we're just regurgitating old heresies. <laughs> old lies, new package. Okay, anyway, let's move on. Um, but but here's, here's what's important. Jesus says, repent, why? For the kingdom of heaven's at hand. God's kingdom is available for every single one of us. Everything God's promised, everything God's made for us, everything God's inviting us into, and he's made us available. And if we're not careful, we'll miss it because we're thinking like we did before. And we won't recognize what's available, what's in front of us. And even as a believer in Jesus, you may say, well, that doesn't apply to me anymore because I, I repented of my sins, I turned to Jesus, I gave my life to him. But if you're still thinking the way you did before Jesus about your family, about your future, about your identity, about your calling, then there's still areas that God's kingdom is available that repentance enables us to replace the wrong thing with the right thing. Is that making sense? Maybe not, okay. Replace, the next one is reveal. Jason team, if you wanna come up to reveal. I've got two more. I found in my experience as a pastor that we're as sick as our secrets. And the lie of the enemy is always you're the only one who's doing this. You're the only one who's dealing with this. You're the only one who's feeling this. And the enemy knows that if he can get you to believe the lie that you need to hide in the shadows or bury, maybe you're not hiding, but you're hiding the thing that's bound you. It's a great story in the Bible. In Luke 6, Jesus comes on the Sabbath day, where they would gather like we are today to hear the word of God read. And there's a man in the back of the room who has a withered hand. And in their culture and in their society and even in their religious practice, you had to cover or hide the issue. <laughs> and so this man walks in and everybody knows, let's call him Larry. Everybody knows Larry at work, and he's the guy with the withered hand. They know Larry at the grocery store. They know Larry at the market. They know Larry everywhere they go, but the moment he steps into church, he hides. And he conceals, and he covers, 
the very thing that God wanted to heal. I'm gonna read this to you, Luke 6. It happened on another Sabbath also that Jesus entered the synagogue and taught and a man was there, his right hand was withered. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they're the religious experts, they're sitting by and they're watching Jesus closely. Now they're not watching Jesus to go, what's he gonna do next? We wanna worship him, we wanna celebrate his works, we wanna marvel at the handiwork of God. No, no, they're, they're watching for something wrong. That's a mindset. Some of us are this close to everything changing, this close to freedom. But all we can see is what's wrong. And I'm not talking today of just let's have positive thinking. Positive thinking's fine. I'd rather be positive than negative. But, but any principle where you take the king out of the kingdom, it doesn't work because it's man-centered. But Jesus wants us, he gives us his word to transform our thoughts so that we, we recognize and respond to God's thoughts. But Jesus is there and the Pharisees are there and they're looking with criticism, with skepticism, whether or not he would heal on the Sabbath because that just didn't fit their list. <laughs> and they were looking that they might find an accusation against him. But he, Jesus, knew their thoughts. He knew the thoughts of their heart. He knew the good and the bad. The God who knows you better than anyone else can. He knows you better than you know yourself. But that God loves you so much. Like some of us, there's people in our life, there's heroes we have, and if you've ever gotten close to one of your heroes, one of the people you looked up to, and then he found out Maybe there were some things behind the scenes. They were a little bit, maybe they were rude in the way they treated people or they were arrogant. Or the pride. And you get around them and go, that's, that's not who I looked up to. And, and the closer you got, the less you thought of them. But the closer God thinks, or the closer God is to us, doesn't diminish how he thinks about you. He loves you. And the reason he calls us to freedom and the reason he works is because the very thing that is destroying our life and that's sin, Jesus came to set us free from because he loves you and he has a purpose for you. And Jesus knew the thoughts of those that were there. And he said, arise and stand here to the man who had a withered hand. So the man arose and he stood. And Jesus said to them, I'm gonna ask you one thing, is it lawful on the Sabbath to good or evil, to save life or destroy? And when he looked around them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Jesus was not surprised by the man's issue. Jesus was not intimidated by the man's issue. He didn't even shame the man for hiding the issue, but he did call him. Could Jesus have healed him with his hand hidden? Absolutely. But it was in the revealing that the healing came. And it's when we're willing to be real with God and say, God, what I've buried, what I've hidden is actually I'm empowering to rule my life. Because what we keep in the dark will always have greater authority over us. But the moment it comes to life, it loses its power. The moment it comes to the light, when we reveal it to God, he sets us free. Shame is a lie, church. Shame is a lie. The last thing is we resist. You can't just accept the thoughts that the enemy brings. One last verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not natural or carnal, but they're mighty in God 
the weapons that God has given you in his word and prayer and the Holy Spirit and all the things that God's given us in the church is more than enough to destroy the lies. He says they're, they're powerful to demolish strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Here's the last thing, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Fear needs to be brought into captivity. It needs to be put under house arrest. Shame needs to be put under house arrest. Those very lies that have kept you from freedom. What if you were one, what if you let one lie keep you from Jesus? I hear it all the time. People make, say reasons why. I can't come to God, I can't come to church, I can't. There's all these, what if the enemy was using one lie? Maybe it's the lie of other people. Well, I can't come to church, there's a bunch of hypocrites. Do you go to the grocery store? Can I tell you there's hypocrites there? I, I mean, I don't know anywhere there haven't been people that are really good at being like the Pharisees and putting on a good act in the front, but there's always gonna be that, but don't let one lie keep you from the king and what he's got promised. Would you stand to your feet? Let's pray. I gotta stop preaching. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come to the front. very things that'll keep you stagnant, very things that'll keep you bound. We want to invite God's word, God's truth, and, and when I even talk about the Bible, I know lots of people, people who've been in church for years are intimidated sometimes by, by the truth of God's word. You don't have to be smart. This is good news for, for me. You don't have to be smart to be transformed by the Bible, but you do have to be humble. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know it all and understand it all yet, but you have to be humble. You have to be willing to say, God, I don't have everything figured out and I know I need you. And I'm inviting you with the help of the Holy Spirit, you're the author, change my life, work in my life. Show me your promises, show me your plan. And as we begin to spend time in the book with the author of the book, not to win a social media argument or post a pretty picture with a scripture on Instagram, it's all fine, but to actually allow it to change us. You will get free. You will move forward. Stagnation will be a thing of the past. And then you'll begin to fight the lies that once held you captive. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes in here. We'll be out here in just two minutes. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.